Hey, Bulls Nation, welcome back to the Rebuild the Bull podcast. I'm Matt Gentile alongside Drew Stevens. Drew, after a full week of Bulls basketball, how are you feeling right now? Man, I feel like the story of the season, if we didn't already know, is going to be all about Patrick Williams and mm. how he does or doesn't develop and who's who takes the biggest advantage of him not doing so. Mm. Green or Derek Jones Jr. Just how that how that ride is going to go. I, I definitely want to get into more of this Patrick Williams discussion with you before we bring Rob Schaefer from NBC Sports Chicago on. Um, but just for our listeners to recap, as we sit here on October 25th to record this, or if you're listening early on October 26th, Bulls are two and two, beat the Heat on opening night, the Celtics on Monday. Lost two over the weekend, including a thrashing by the Cavaliers at home on Saturday. And, of course, a, a tough one there on Friday with DeMar DeMarozan missing a potential game winner and dropping one to the Wizards. Um, so two and two out of the gate, Drew, with kind of like a bizarro bull situation. They beat two of the top teams from the Eastern Conference last year. And, hey, you know what? I guess some improvement there, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, I think you, you you have to the the way that things went last last season. I don't think anybody can look at them beating Miami and and, and Boston and not feel good about those victories. Although um, the losses to Washington and to Cleveland were letdowns for different reasons. Um, you know, with the Washington game, it just felt like for a lot of that game they were doing what they wanted to do offensively. Um, Kyle Kuzma kind of had his way, and then Bill. Um, obviously, had some clutch buckets late in that game. Vucevic was getting paint touches early, and then they kind of went away from him. In the Cleveland game, something I also want to ask Rob about when he comes on is how much of a factor Billy Donovan riding with that all-bench unit um, from the first quarter into the second quarter where Cleveland built up a 19-point lead, how much that factored into the loss. Obviously, guys got to come in and do their job. You don't want to just kind of um, – pinning the loss on a certain minute segment of the game. But with that game, it really felt like um, that set them, set them back so far that they just couldn't, they couldn't get back in it. And it felt like against Boston on, on Monday, it was almost like Billy corrected that a little bit by having at least DeMar or Zach on the floor with the second unit. And, you know, it, it definitely helped the Bulls. With last night's game, that was really entertaining. You, you're feeling like, oh, God, here we go again, another thrashing. And then all of a sudden you you get a, a what, 30-point swing. And the Bulls ended up uh, dominating. Really, Chicago dominated Boston on <laughs> Monday night. You also had the Bears beating the Patriots at Foxborough, which was great. So I, I had two TVs last night. I won't lie. I was I was keeping an eye on both. So. Oh, yeah. Same here. Yeah. <laughs> Same here. I don't know. Like, I'm not I'm not one of those like people that hates Boston, but I do feel like there's a little bit of uh, of cockiness sometimes that comes from the Boston sports fans. So sometimes when you could, you know, tweak them a little bit, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I mean, they 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 earn that right. The amount of championships they won, especially um, uh, New England, you know, in the Bill Belichick era, it comes with the territory, I think. But it did feel good to to notch a couple victories for Chicago teams last night. It was pretty sweet. So. Um, you, you mentioned Patrick Williams and like, it is the elephant in the room. Like you can't dodge it right now through these first four games. And it was a storyline of ours when we did our season preview last week. And like, 
this you mentioned this discussion about player development in general that's kind of um rearing its head in bulls twitter and on multiple podcasts that bulls nation listens to um like i kind of brought this up with you offline where it seems like there's like a there's two different treks going on right now right where Patrick Williams development cycle and the bulls current life cycle of being in a win now mode are just not meshing right now. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Um, and it just seems like there's a lot of this discourse happening where people are, are questioning the bulls player development methods. And, you know, I think they're looking at not just Patrick Williams, they're looking at Larry marketing right now in Utah. They're looking at Wendell Carter and they're saying, well, you know, did the bulls kind of mess up this, their player development strategy. And as I mentioned to you, I feel like it's almost like these are two different conversations that are getting like bungled together. Um, because, you know, keep in mind, like Laurie marketing and Wendell Carter's development cycles mainly happened under the previous regime, right? That, you know, under Jim Boylan and under the Garpax administration. But I think at the time AK and Mark Eversley came here and Billy Donovan came here, you know, 2021 was the season of evaluation, right? That shortened season. And I think as those two players were coming out of their rookie contracts, you had to ask yourself, is Laurie Markinen and is Wendell Carter, are they both foundational star level pieces that you would consider part of a core? And I mean, clearly, as we got through the middle of that season, by that trade deadline, I think you knew the answer. And we had seen enough. I mean, it had been a, you know, three, four seasons where we had seen enough in those two players' life cycles to know that at the end of the day, they might be high-end role players. And I, I feel like even now, Wendell Carter's a high-end role player. Larry Markinen, you know, he might be in his February stretch right now with Utah in the month of October. And, you know, let's see, can he sustain this? I mean, I'm the state of Missouri. Show me. I don't believe it right now. I've seen it for six years. This is year six of Laurie Markkinen in the NBA. So I think with that in mind, like we have this like group of Bulls fans that are like pining for maybe they should have just stayed with this player development mode and, and it could have benefited, you know, keeping Laurie and keeping Wendell and, and letting Pat develop. But why are both these conversations happening? I don't understand it. Like, can't both these be true that maybe the Bulls had to cut bait with those two and Patrick Williams is just on a different cycle. And I, like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm confused. I'm kind of confusing myself talking about this because I just don't get where these conversations are getting mixed together. I think it's, it's it has to do with the way that Patrick Williams is developing um, the process that it's, it's taking for him to develop in the way that Bulls fans want him to and how that's affecting the team's overall tra trajectory as well as injuries to Lonzo Ball and uh, Zach Levine kind of rehabbing that, that left knee. If he was playing up to expectations, if he was playing, um, Billy Donovan's going to hate that I say this, but if he was playing in the manner that 
a lot of people would would expect from a fourth overall pick, we wouldn't have these conversations about player development or the, the woulda, coulda, shouldas. But because he's not gotten off to the best start in his career, because um, Acme kind of shifted their train of thought after spending, what was it, half a season of evaluation, kind of looking at the roster and then deciding to go forward with Nikola Vucevic, um, Part of that, I'm sure, had to do with wanting to make sure that Zach Levine knew that they were serious about winning now um, with his contract coming up soon. But I think it all just stems from, again, Patrick Williams and and how he is and isn't playing on the floor right now. I think you bring up a, a good point there, too, Drew. Like, Acme did speed up the clock on win, winning now. You're 100% right. It was because of what they saw in Zach. I feel like through that first half of the 2021 season, they were convinced that Zach was a foundational piece. But I think they looked and said, well, Wendell's not, Laurie's not, Kobe White's not. And now we have to course correct um, if we want to keep Zach, you know, because that was the other wrinkle in this too. How do you convince Zach to stay? Mm -hmm. Um, So I I don't begrudge them for moving on a lot of NBA teams move on from guys after their first contract. If they're not those cornerstone pieces. And I also think, you know, is it also people's definition of a cornerstone piece? You know, like if you have two studs and you draft somebody at number seven and they're a foundational role player. Yeah, of course. Then go ahead and sign them because you have two studs, but at that time bulls didn't. Um, And really like those, that move would have probably prevented you if you had kept Wendell and extended Laurie or you know, made those moves, you probably wouldn't have DeMar DeRozan. So like, you know, you can't really have your cake and eat it too in that situation. You would have been stuck with those players. And at that point, what are you in a competitive Eastern conference, a 35 win team? So yeah, like I don't, again, like I think it it's again, I do see that as a separate discussion, but to get back to the point though about Patrick, um, I guess like, is there a way though that you can get the most out of him or find a way to, to get him in a development mode while you win now? And I, I think it comes back to that question. Is that roll off the bench to help that happen? See, that's, that's, I think that where that's where it has to happen right now with this team, the way that it's constructed, um, you know, Billy Donovan wants him to play aggressively, but not to, not necessarily in, in the mode of a score, but more so just doing the things to put himself in a position to score or to set up his teammates, whether it be setting screens or um, cutting to the basket, um, crashing offensive boards. But he hasn't shown the ability to do that consistently. What he has shown is that he can make plays with the ball in his hands against non-starters you know every game we talk about where it's oh Patrick Williams did this he did that it's the Minnesota game last year um uh you know times in the preseason against uh Milwaukee when he was he was going against you know the skeleton crew that the Bucks put out there and that's not to say again I you know you know me I'm not the type of guy that's here to railroad players at all but just where he is in his stage of development I think he's better suited for this team right now if you're talking about playing to his strengths, you bring him off the bench and um, let him kind of run with Goran Dragic and Kobe White, guys that 
our vets, especially Dragic, um, who also offer some offensive capabilities as well. And you can play off of Patrick Williams in that regard. The thing where it gets tricky, though, is if the whole idea is to have him kind of compliment Zach and DeMar and Vooch, but you're playing him off the bench in a role that he's not going to have when he's with the starters, what are we doing? And that, that's where this gets a little dicey because, again, you're the fourth overall pick, right? And, you know, I do think, though, in the NBA, even if you're a top pick, if you land on a team like the, the situation the Bulls are in now, if you end up becoming the super sub or, or a stud sixth man, let's say that ends up – what if that happens? Like, we should at least find out. You know, like at this point, like what, what do you have to lose? Either he's, um, you know, a bust at number four, or you can say, hey, you know what? Maybe he wasn't a superstar, but he turned out to be a really valuable sixth man off the bench. Or he turned out to, you know, he really turned a corner and became what, what Salim was talking about during the season preview, right? A guy that's putting up maybe like 12, 13 points and, you know, a, a five and four and being really efficient and a, a stopper defensively and you end up finishing games with him in, in the lineup. Like, I don't think it hurts to go that route. If, you know, he gives you that level of production with this team, because he will make a name for himself. If he does that, I think even coming off the bench and become a key player for you, because I think it adds something to the bench too. Like, you know, we were talking about Billy is doing a lot to help bolster the bench by putting DeMar and Zach with that starting group or with that, that second unit. And could you maybe get away with alleviating it? If Patrick Williams does show to be a little more ball dominant with that second unit where you maybe don't have to rely on those guys to kind of help carry them, help carry that second unit. Yeah. While it's, while it's easy to, easy to say that, you know, there's going to be some some bumps in the road and there's no way that Pat can um, sustain that second group. I would love to see what he could do with it, you know? So that, that's a great point that you just brought up just to see um, if nothing else, if he can just kind of keep that second unit level um, off the bench and not have to have Zach and Namar always on the floor um, kind of babysitting that, that that second group for lack of a better word yeah i like that term babysitting the second unit because it's <laughs> it does feel like that like it reminds me a little bit of um i think somebody had brought this up that there was a point where i think fibs um really early in that 2011 season was using luol dang a lot with the second unit the bench mob but then you kind of realize like well, the bench mob kind of can carry themselves on their own and he kind of got away from that more and more and I, it's like you can kind of see Billy's he wanted to do that with the second unit and kind of let it be just like a tit for tat and go five and five if possible. But it's just, I don't know if it's going to be sustainable, especially with, I think, lack of shooting. Like you, you kind of have to find ways to manufacture it. And, you know, right now the only way to do it is with one of those guys. And that's why it'd be great to just, just see, let's just see if, if Pat can, can kind of help solve two problems, get his development, back on track and possibly bolster your second unit without having to, you know, use up minutes or, you know, rely too much on DeMar or Zach in those situations. 
Yeah, I just wonder how long it's, it's you know, possibly going to take for, for Lily to make that change if Patrick Williams, you know, doesn't kind of get things going here in a bit and, and change the direction of, of where things seem to be going. I also wonder, you know, how how long is, is Donovan going to go with 11-man rotation? And mm. if, if he cuts it down to 10, who's the eye man out? Um, can't help but notice – how Pat's minutes have been the last couple games and, and how he's, how Donovan's kind of put him in there when the game has already been decided. <laughs> I, that, that's been telling. And, you know, maybe it would be interesting to inject Billy Donovan with the truth serum, right? Like if you had your druthers, would you just keep him on the end of the bench and, and give him some DNPs or put him in, in garbage time or, you know, is, is there another another name? Is there somebody if if you were in Billy Donovan's shoes and let's say you had to put Pat into that second unit, who's the odd man out in your mind? The odd man out of that second group. Mm-hmm. If we're so, limiting the eleven man rotation to ten, man, after last night, it's it's hard to say Derrick Jones Jr. Mm-hmm. But if you're asking me if there's anybody within that group that would have to come out for Pat's sake. I mean, it, I think it would have to be Derek Jones Jr. Just because Javonte Green um, has been a more consistent contributor than, than Derek Jones Jr. Part of that is Derek Jones Jr. seems to kind of go in and out of the rotation and mm-hmm. um, in a way that Billy Donovan wants to use him. But I think it would, I think it would be him. I wouldn't want it to be just based off how he's looked these last couple of games and the kind of punch he's, he's given his team as well as Javonte. Come yeah. On. And so J- Javante, he's going into the starting lineup, right? Like just based on preseason and what we see him doing with the starters, you think he's he's going in in lieu of Pat if that happens? I think so. I think it would be I think it would be Javante. Unless matchup wise, both of them are so man, against bigger teams. I wonder, I wonder how Billy Donovan would play that. Um I know. It- <laughs> Well, and and like somebody on on I saw a couple of of fans on Bulls Twitter even saying like, well, do you do you maybe roll with Alex Caruso and go with a smaller lineup, put Demar in at the four? Because like Demar did play a little four in San Antonio, um, but I, yeah, like I feel like you have to ride with Javante Green at least for a little, and, and maybe you do alter it based on matchup. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah a little tricky. We'll play around Would with things be. a little bit. All right. Well, let's get let's get the thoughts of somebody that's in the know from um, NBC sports, Chicago. Shall we drew? Absolutely. Let's do it. Joining us now on the rebuildable podcast is NBC sports, Chicago's Rob Schaefer. Rob, I don't know where your football ties lie, but how are you doing today after Chicago dominated (laughs) the football and basketball scene yesterday? Uh, well, well, I'm, I'm good, Drew. Thanks for asking. Uh, you know, it's funny. So uh, I talk about this occasionally, but I don't, I don't, uh, presume that anybody listens to every appearance that I do here and there, but being a Connecticut native, my, my allegiance has actually got split between New York and Boston. If I could tell you why I would, I inherited, I inherited the teams that I got. Uh, but I'm actually a diehard, uh, New York giants fan and and remain one to this day. Um, and 
I'm on cloud nine with them right now. We could spend 30 to 45 minutes talking about Daniel Jones and, and Saquon Barkley and Brian Dable if you want to. I suspect you don't. Um, but I was more than happy to not only see the Bears win because it makes a lot of people I know happy, uh, but also the Patriots get their get their teeth kicked in. Uh, no, no, nobody appreciates that more than me. And uh, while I get why Eberflus did it, I, I wouldn't have, like Peyton Manning. I wouldn't have minded if they had, if they had punched that one in and gotten forty in Foxborough. That that, that would have been okay with me. Yes, <laughs> same here. I was oh, I wanted it so badly just to stick it right to Bill Belichick right there and just put up forty in Foxborough. The Bears, the Bears putting up forty in Foxborough. The Bears putting up thirty three in Foxborough is pretty impressive, but forty, yeah. I've been great. <laughs> And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, it was fun. It, it was fun at the United Center last night because they kept on. Uh, I didn't get to watch any of the game, obviously, because Bulls and Celtics are playing at the same time. But they would, they would show these score updates on, on the Jumbotron every once in a while. And it was like, not only would it be a, you know, a cheer, obviously, there was like surprise every time. Oh, my God, the lead's growing. And like, you know, you know what I mean? It was, it was almost like a shocked uh, thing. And, and, you know, at the beginning of the Bulls-Celtics game, it was like a reprieve from the Celtics, you know, raining threes and, and doing what they do. Uh, but then as the game went on, it, you know, it kind of sinks in. They're like, oh, my God, we're about to dominate this uh, this night versus uh, Boston sports that nobody expected. So uh, it, was, it was a fun night for sure. Yeah, definitely a fun night for Chicago sports fans. And it's always nice to get a little bit. I talked about this before you popped on to just tweak Boston a little bit. It's kind of fun with with them because they're always winning. So, um, so, Rob, you're now entering season four, right? Um, yep. So I kind of want to know, how's the ride been? Because you started in the Boylan Garpax era, and now you're covering what seems like a totally different version of Chicago Bulls basketball. How's it been like for you in your young career? Yeah, so I, so I came in, would have been November, mid-November uh, of the 2019-20 season. So obviously the last one before the pandemic threw the entire world upside down. I cannot, I just, I just can't speak too much on the inner workings of the Garpax era firsthand. You hear things in retrospect, um, obviously, especially, you know, being around, you know, beat reporters and media people who are around, you get a sense of how things were, but in all, in, in all honesty, I was around two and a half, three months. We had all-star weekend and then the world shut down, obviously, you know, the the front office gets cleaned out. The coaching staff eventually gets cleaned out. The whole next season, AKME and and, and Billy's first year, um, and Pat's first year, and Zach's kind of all star breakout year. Like all of that happens virtually, so that was a little bit odd, um, and and kind of insulated, uh, you know, in terms of media from from being around the team. Last year we got a little bit more, you know, in the weeds, being back at games, but you know, still no locker rooms, still a little bit, uh, you know, siloed. Uh, and then this year, it, it's felt like the 1920 season again in terms of access, uh, which we're all obviously pretty grateful for. Um, so that, so that, that, that's it's kind of been an unnatural arc uh, from that perspective, uh, which I can appreciate because screw it, like if I'm going to be in the business, throw me in about you know eight different fires and we'll see what happens. Um, it's been all right so far. Uh, and then the basketball, um, you know, thankfully, uh, you know this new regime for whatever the, the, the long-term results ends up being of, you know, this flurry of moves that they've made, it's at least been compelling. And, and my, my sense of bulls basketball from the Jimmy Butler trade to kind of the end of the rebuild and, and the front office being swapped, it wasn't very compelling. A lot of the, a, a lot of the, the things that went on in those years uh, I've heard the word depressing 
demoralizing, all types of nasty adjectives used. Uh, so, you know, who knows where this season's going last year, the beginning of the year was obviously more fun th- than the end in terms of the, the, the quality of basketball that was being played. I think we're seeing flashes of things going the right way. Now it's still obviously very early. Um, but you know, I, I'm, I'm just grateful for the ride. It's, it's a, it's what, it, no matter what the bulls are doing, it's a great sports town. And at the very least now, um, you know, the team has a, has a cast of interesting characters and, you know, just when you think that you haven't figured out, they kind of shake things up a little bit. So that that's always good to be on your toes. Well, as Bulls fans, we're lucky to have you too, because you've been crushing it in terms of coverage and definitely love the questions you've been asking to Billy Donovan in press conferences. I feel like he's really, he opens up to you a lot. Like that's one thing that I've taken away that you seem to ask him questions that he definitely responds well to. And, and you seem to get a lot of good answers out of him. Well, well, listen, Billy is a coach that definitely, you know, yields his fair share of criticism from us, from, from the fan base, rotations, scheme stuff, you know, holding this player accountable versus that player accountable. He is an incredibly media-friendly coach in terms of the insight that he's willing to give on the record. Uh, you know, obviously he's a lot of times can be long-winded. I'll take that over, you know, a Greg Popovich, shoot your question down just because you looked at him funny. You know, I'll take that. And that's no, you know, shade of Greg Popovich, obviously, you know, all, all respect to him as an all-time great coach. But Billy, I mean, if you come in, he'll reward a bad question. But if you come in with, with a good question or something that you're genuinely curious about and he can see that, I mean, he'll just talk shot. Like he'll, he'll just talk basketball for, you know, sometimes two, three, four, even five minutes. So I've been grateful for that as a, not only a young person just being around the game trying to learn more about it but also a young reporter like trying to learn how the nba works and 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 how teams operate and and how coaches and players think about things billy routinely gives you a pretty uh a pretty telling window into that it does not make him a perfect coach by any means but i i think you know when he first came in and i think some of this is still endured to this day people can at least appreciate the candor which you know Again, the only other head coach I've covered full time is Jim. Uh, and while Jim is perfectly pleasant in like professional interactions and everything like that, you just never knew what was real, what wasn't. <laughs> when, you know, the catchphrases were a little bit, uh, you know, yeah, it, it, it just it, it was not. That's one that's one difference I can speak to between the new regime and, and the old one. It just it just feels like a more buttoned up operation. And I, I don't I again, I, I'm not the most experienced. I, I was not around for long, so I'm not trying to be, you know, overly critical of the last guys in a way that I probably shouldn't be. Um, but that is definitely a, a discernible difference. And, and I think Billy, as part of the reason I think the front office likes Billy so much is that he's, he's, a, he's a good face and a good diplomat uh, of the organization in that way. Rob, the Bulls sit at two and two presently, um, kind of a letdown in Washington, disappointing loss coming off the victory in, in the season opener against Miami come home for the home opener and get smashed by the Cleveland Cavaliers. But being that the two wins are against last season's Eastern Conference finalists, what what do you take from those victories when you kind of juxtapose it with the fact that it's still just October? It's it's hard to know exactly what to take. I think you I think I, I think that's how Billy's thinking about it too, just listening to him. We tried to get him to bite on the significance of beating two, you know, elite Eastern Conference teams top four. They, I mean, screw it, the Eastern Conference finalists last year. And his whole thing is like, yeah, it's great. It's game four, you know, is our style of play right? Is our identity right? And I think that's exactly how he should respond. That's kind of how I've been thinking about it. Um, 
you know, I, I said on our podcast today, the uh, Bulls Talk podcast at NBC, that if you told me the Bulls were going to be two and two through four games, I would have believed it. These are not the two wins I would have picked. Like, no way. Um, just based on last year and, and and the fact that this is a very similar group to the team that was so underwhelming down the stretch last year that lost so many games, many in lopsided fashion uh, to, you know, these elite, you know, upper echelon opponents. But, I, you know, in, in terms of is this going to be a blip on the radar or is this going to be a trend throughout the year? I think I would echo what I imagine Billy would say to that question, which is, we got to wait and see how sustainable the style of play is that the Bulls are playing with right now and how much they're going to be able to play to an identity on a consistent basis. But you absolutely can't deny the significance of getting punched in the mouth by Miami on the road, getting punched in the mouth by Boston 48 hours after you get, you know, smacked by Cleveland at home and having the resilience to fight back. I think that's a, that's a huge takeaway. Um, The second unit, you know, they're still figuring out how they want to rotate and stagger. But that group looks looks like a lot deeper and a lot just sturdier of a group than, than they had last year. The Dragic and Drummond additions, they lengthen your rotation, and those are just two solid vets that know how to play. Um, and they've addressed weaknesses that the Bulls had, you know, in terms of a shot creator and distributor, uh, you know, with, with a veteran's mind off the bench, Dragic. Um, and then obviously Drummond, you know, the rebounding's been exactly as advertised. And I think he's even shown some pop as a lob threat and a rim protector that I'll be honest, I just was not expecting to this level. It's a pleasant surprise. Um, so that's a big takeaway. Uh, DeMar hasn't missed a beat. What else is, I mean, that's what we all expected. Right. But it's good to see. Um, I think IO's two best games of the season being the Miami and the Boston game. It's been a little up and down, but that's a good takeaway. Um, it, I mean, I, I'm sure you guys saw the stats uh, flying around Twitter today. IO owns <laughs> the Celtics uh, improbably. It's kind of a funny thing. Um, Vooch, I mean, him and Drummond combining to really dominate that smaller Celtics front line. Good matchup recognition by the Bulls. I don't know if they abused that matchup the way they did last night, last year or the year before. Good to see. So, you know, we'll see what the big picture scope of the season looks like, but you can't help but feel a little bit encouraged that all of these little bits of progress are there and that the resulting in wins against good teams. All you could say is that they're off to, to you know, the start against that level of competition that you would want to see. Yeah. What would you, I'm curious, what would you say through these four games? And again, Zach wasn't there for the first two. Um, Caruso yeah. was battling uh, some hamstring issues. Is that correct? Uh, and a calf. I mean, that's Caruso. He, he's off the injury report now. So we can only, <laughs> we can only be led to believe that he's as healthy as, uh, as Alex Caruso possibly could be. That's true. That's true. What would you say their identity is, um, especially on the offensive side of the ball? Because it looks like they want to get Vucevic the ball early in games, but then they kind of drift away from that. Um, yeah. Times too. I, I struggle with the team-wide stuff, and I think it takes more than four games to really get a clear idea of it. The second unit identity, I think, jumps off the screen, like as, or, or the or the or the floor as soon as uh, you know, as soon as they get rolling. I just think, you know, depending on which star you stagger with, and I, I would implore, I would implore Billy to, to keep Zach or Demar out there with those guys moving forward. Even though Zach didn't play that well last night, I think his presence on the court and a guy like Demar's presence on the court, like those things, make a difference, even if they're not playing at their maximum, um, you know, efficiency just because of the attention they draw. Uh, but I digress there. I think the second unit just with Dragic being a really capable ball handler, um, you know, you have plus defenders in Caruso and Javante 
Uh, and Drummond, I think, has honestly been a plus at that end, especially when you factor in the defensive rebounding so far this year. But then also in Caruso and Dragic and Javante, guys that like to play fast. So I think that group on a smaller scale has kind of rediscovered the early season identity of last year of wreak havoc, force turnovers, play fast, um, you know, get downhill, all these buzz buzz phrases that Billy loves. Um, you know, Derek Jones Jr., he deserves a shout out in that group because of what he's been able to do the last two games. Kobe White, after that Boston game, I suspect, you know, he could be, you know, in and out of that rotation based on matchups, based on, you know, hot hand things. I think you could say that about a lot of people just because of how much Billy likes to tinker and how much he's still figuring it out. Um, so I have a pretty good grasp of that, of that second unit's identity. The first group, I, I think they're still trying to figure out how to obviously maximize Vooch, increase their paint touches and, you know, play that kind of quote unquote random, more ball and player movement centric offense uh, that Billy's been preaching since camp. I don't really know if I have a feel for the identity of that group yet. Cause it's still, it, obviously there's far more talent on that group than the second unit, but in terms of the balance, you know, you still have in Levine, DeRozan and Vucevic three, your three best players in that group are below average defenders. And then you've got, you know, Io, who I think is, you know, his highs are super high, but you're also going to have games like the Washington game or like the Cleveland game. Um, and then, you know, Patrick is just a huge, to me, I'm, I'm not, I don't think by any means the story of his season is written by now, but he's a huge question mark to me. And I think you can see that in the way that Billy's handling his rotations. The trust is just not there in terms of the consistency, the way that it is, even with guys like Javante and Derek. So team-wide identity, TBD to me. But this is why one of my biggest takeaways from the first few games is the second unit, because I think you can see how that group is going to be able to affect games on a nightly basis and shoot on some nights, change the entire game uh, the way that they did against uh, Boston. Well, you segue very nicely there, Rob, to uh, my question, which is the elephant in the room about Patrick Williams. Um, You know, Casey, I know, wrote a couple of days ago, a column, Kind of talking about is is it time to make that move to the second unit for for Pat? And I think after these first few games, others in the fan base, myself included, are probably echoing that. And especially when we see Javante Green playing as well as he has. Um, I don't know what do you think the pros and cons are of, of moving him from the starting lineup to the second unit? Uh, pros. Uh, from a team wide perspective, I just think Javante fits better with that starting group. Um, just, I mean, we saw it for a lot of stretches last season. Obviously it's not perfect. Obviously Javante, like, you know, he played well, um, for a stretch. I believe it was in the Cleveland game when they kind of made a little bit of a push that fell short. Uh, he obviously played well against Boston, but he didn't play that well in the first two games. So it's not like that's a, a perfect solution, but I do think again, just in terms of things that Billy talks about all the time about wanting from that four spot energy off ball movement playing fast. I just think he's a more natural fit than Patrick with the Bulls primary offensive threats, at least right now, like Patrick, he's 21 years old. This is not the player he's going to be for the rest of his career, but this team is built to win this year. The expectations are to win this year. So, you know, I do think Javante there probably fits a little bit better than Pat in the respect of, you know, winning the game tomorrow or when, or, you know, winning games in the, in the very, very, very near future. Another pro, and this is why I don't think, and I don't think Casey meant for it to come like come across as negative at all. And I think people that read the the column and that think about this stuff, you know, in a similar way would would agree. Like 
there's a pro from Patrick's perspective. Like if he fits better with that second unit, if he's allowed to spread his wings a little bit more offensively um, and is able to get into actions in a way that is not taking away touches from Levine, DeRozan, or Vucevic, maybe that could be the best thing for him developmentally. You know, is it going to be less minutes? Is it a little bit more tenuous? Because when you're on that second unit, if you're showing signs of, you know, not playing well on a nightly basis, you're just one notch closer to being out of the rotation, maybe. Um, but I do think there's upside there in terms of his involvement offensively that one is just not realistic for him to take touches away from, you know, your all-star trio, uh, you know, in, in, in a big way. And it also kind of feeds into Pat who, you know, is, I think the most diplomatic record is deferential by nature. Like he, I genuinely think the way he looks at the game is like my goal out there when I'm playing with Zach, Tamar and Vooch is to set those guys up. They're all stars. You know what I mean? I, I, I think that's how he thinks about it. He said as much. So that's a pro. Um, con, like, am I crazy that the only con I really see is the optics? It just doesn't look good that the number four overall pick. And, you know, I, I, I can't say that I have a handle on this, but like the front office, like I, it's an open question. Do they care if, you know, their first big transaction, their first draft pick, their number four overall pick, a guy that inside and outside of the organization has been, you know, viewed as an X factor to the season is that, you know, from an optics perspective, like not tenable for him to slide to the bench. I personally, like it wouldn't really matter that much to me. Cause I just think, again, if you're trying to win basketball games, you just can't think of players like that. I don't think Billy does, but I also, you know, I didn't expect them to make a change before the Boston game. I don't know that I expect them to make a change soon. They very well could, who knows? Um, they play, they play the lineup and rotation stuff pretty close to the vest. Uh, but maybe that could be a potential con, or maybe it's viewed um, as a potential con. But from my perspective, like even a, even a game like the Boston game, you know, Pat finishes to a seven. You know, again, I think it was only a rebound or two in the game. But he did have some moments. You know, he had a chase down block. He had that offensive rebound and that put back in the third quarter. He had some strong drives. They don't go in. But, you know, at the this point we're judging process for him. Like you can't even judge the results as much as the process that he plays with. But even in a game like that, you saw first half, he goes through that first stint out of the rotation for the rest of the first half. Same thing in the second half until, until, uh, you know, the game was in hand and it, it was garbage time. Jamonte and Derek both played more to me. Like you got to judge actions louder than words on stuff like this. Um, and it just seems like Billy views Javante and Derek as more known quantities at that power four position based on how they played the last two games i agree um but it's still a hard trigger to pull especially with a guy in pat who you know i'm not claiming i'm I'm not trying to be like uh i'm not trying to psychoanalyze anybody but it's clear as day that mentality is a big part of the equation with him right so do you do you risk screwing with his psyche or anything like that I, i don't necessarily think so because pat's a team first guy and i think he'd take it in stride um, but you know, little things like that are things that you also have to consider, um, with a potential lineup change. I don't know, you know, things are going fine enough now that I think you could probably ride it out and try to give them every chance. Um, you know, you possibly could because beyond the optics, like Patrick blossoming this year is the, the, the maximized version of him is a better player. You would think than Javante or Derek, it's just, is he being maximized right now? I'd probably give him a, a little bit more leash to figure it out. Um, but eventually, again, in the pursuit of winning games this year, I th- think it could make sense for most involved to, to, to make that change. So you talked about 
Patrick's mentality. And I think there's some similarities, at least from afar, in my eyes, with how he seems to be affected by the game uh, mentally and how Wendell Carter Jr. also had his moments where uh, maybe he got in his head too much. Looking forward, we don't really know what's going to happen with Vucevic. Uh, you know, this is contract year for him. We know DeMar is going to be on the team. At least we think so because of this contract. But mm-hmm. Billy Donovan, you know, he's he's kind of preached this, this mantra of aggressiveness with Patrick Williams, but not necessarily in terms of taking shots, you know, more so cutting, setting screens, attacking the offensive glass. If Billy was to put him in that second unit, it's putting the ball in his hands to, to take shots and be aggressive in, in that manner, but it's not really leaning into what is supposed to make him what everybody wants him to be with those, those heavier hitters in the starting lineup. Long range view. Do you, how, how do you kind of look at that in terms of weighing Patrick's ability to get on ball reps with what it is he's supposed to be able to provide to that starting unit? Yeah, I, I get that. See, and that's and that's why I say developmentally, there's there's an angle of this that makes sense. The question I have, and you know, it's a simple question. It's one that maybe I'll I'll go do some do some asking on, but I I would be pretty shocked if Pat gave like a truth serum level honest answer on this because again, he's such a team first guy. What is Patrick Williams most comfortable doing? Like, is is he the type of player that feels that he impacts the game most with the ball in his hand? Or does he see himself as someone that is most impactful by, you know, moving without the ball? I, I, I don't know if I would suspect that just because he hasn't been effective in doing that, you know, in, in at least our recent memory. But I think in terms of like setting up a, a comfortable development situation for him, you'd have to know that. You'd, and, and maybe Patrick would have to know that. Like, what, like, what do I feel the most comfortable doing? Um, and then lean into that. And then maybe that leads to growth in other areas, too. I'd certainly like playing with that second unit would be an opportunity to get more touches. It's just discouraging to me that I, and I know like people count up the touches and he's low, you know, on the, and you know, in terms of players on the bulls and terms of touches. And I, I get that that can be a coaching criticism. I'm, to, I'm totally there with that. My only two points of pushback there would be one. If the coach doesn't think that putting the ball in Patrick's hands is going to lead to, you know, positive winning basketball for his team on a given night. I just don't think they're going to do it. That'd be one thing. And then two, you know, like you said, Drew, like Billy's been all about cut, get on the offensive glass. Like I don't have the numbers in front of me. And I think Ricky O'Donnell, so I'll shout him out, tweeted this out the other day. And Javante and Pat were at about the same number of touches before the Celtics game for the season. But Javante, like when he's in the game, he finds the ball or the ball finds him. Derek Jones Jr., same thing. Like he scored 10 points in the second quarter. Yesterday, I mean, I can't even envision what Patrick Williams scoring 10 points in a quarter would look like right now. So, like, is there a, a little bit of a coaching deficiency here that maybe they they should be looking more into, um, you know, what Pat do, is most comfortable doing and leaning into that for the sake of his development? Yes, but I also think a lot of this falls on the, on the player too, especially when, from my seat, I just don't even think, again, it's four games, small sample, but I just don't even think he's controlling the things that he can control so far this year. Like even defensively, I, I just, like, there have been moments, but I don't think he's been a better defensive player this year than Javante or, or Derek even. He's just not as active. The energy just isn't there. He had some tough moments on Tatum last night. I thought they matched him up with him early. So, and, you know, obviously the rebounding, you know, 
I don't, I don't have it in front of me, so I won't say through four games, but through three games, six total rebounds for your starting power four. I just, these are the things I kind of can't get over. And then when he, you know, we talked to, or I, I asked him about the rebounding and shoot around and he kind of said without saying it, that, you know, when he's in that painted area, he feels like he can come down with them and that that's the growth area for him is that he needs to just get into the mix more. But he said that that takes a level of focus that, you know, again, without saying it, you know, maybe that's just not always there. You know, there's just a lot of complicated, complicated things going on um, in terms of Patrick's role, in terms of his development. I totally get how you could fault the coaching staff. I totally get how you could fault Pat. As always with these things, I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Um, but it's something that the Bulls, I don't want to say have to figure out fast, because again, 82 game season, Bulls want to play longer than 82 games. So we're very, very, very early here. But it is incumbent on them to figure it out eventually because no matter how slow he started the season, I still believe that, that he's the X factor to the season if he can put it together. Um, you know, the theoretical version of him just brings so much to the table. They just have to find a way to unlock it. Yeah, on, on the heels of those these first four games, there's been, especially this last game, there's been kind of these rumblings from Bulls Nation, Bulls fans about, skepticism in regard to player development and how that's factoring into what we are seeing and not seeing from Patrick Williams. It sounds like you're throwing a cold towel on that, but do you, do you feel like there's anything to that when you add in maybe how Wendell Carter Jr. and Laurie didn't kind of take another step here? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if I mean to throw a cold towel on it. I, I think you, the, the blame can be shared there. I think just with Patrick, when I see like the, defensive activity and the rebounding stuff, which, I mean, you don't need plays drawn up for you to do that stuff. And that stuff hasn't been there. So that's where I fault the player a little bit. Um, Wendell and Lowry, like, I, I, frankly, they gave up on them too soon, just when you look at the way that they've developed. But like, let's also be honest about it. Like those weren't their guys. Those are inherited guys. Patrick is, they, this front office has a lot invested in him in terms of spending the number four pick and, you know, plugging him in. Uh, to the amount of playing time in the role that they plugged them into immediately. So, you know, we can't be naive and, and pretend that that stuff doesn't matter. Um, but, you know, even when Lowry was here, I mean, I know he's playing great now, but even when Lowry was here, I think he can make a lot of the same arguments in terms of his rebounding declined, you know, every year in his last three seasons. You know, like the controllable things weren't always there. Wendell, I actually still to this day believe it. he was never going to turn into the player he's been in Orlando with Chicago. I just don't think it was going to happen uh, for a number of reasons. So, you know, the development track record is not good on paper. There are nuances with stuff with this new regime, just being honest, other than Io, who's an amazing pick and, and he's developed splendidly so far. Um, but with Pat, uh, until I think he kind of, they maybe, maybe both sides have to meet each other in the middle, but really until Pat meets them in the middle with the activity stuff, I have a hard time saying that they're like holding him back necessarily. Like he's being encouraged, egged on by, every coach and player within the organization. Um, and 90 games in, I'm not saying it's put up or shut up time yet necessarily. Like it's not that pressing uh, in the third, in, in his third season, but there, there's just not the body of work to lean, to, to lean on and say, well, we know that this is in there because really we came into this year, the same we came into last year, not knowing exactly what he is. And when you have a player like that, every new piece of data that he shows you, is is important in terms of like evaluating where a guy is at that moment. Just to put a little bit of a bow on this Patrick Williams discussion, um, 
you know, you mentioned like you, you might consider still writing this out a little bit because it's still early in the season. There's plenty of time to kind of gauge what's going on here. But do you think there's a certain point where you might have to make a decision to, to shake up the starting lineup? Like, is there a certain amount of games that you have to get to or is it just, you know, eye test? Yeah, I think it's probably a feel. Th- I am just it would probably just be a feel thing only because it depends how he's playing. Like, do you start to see, even if it doesn't show up in the box score, like, do you see progress over a certain amount of games? And does that lead you to maybe, you know, let that leeway out a little bit more? Uh, But no, definitely. I think there's a point where it comes because if Patrick is playing like he's playing right now in April, like just honestly, like, I just don't know how you could run him longer in a playoff series than guys who are making a greater impact than him. So certainly there's a time when that has to come. I, I definitely don't have a game number um, in mind. And, and part of that comes with just not knowing everything that's going on in terms of inner workings, conversations that are happening, things that are being worked on, what behind the scenes he's being told to do. And if he's living up to certain aspects of it that we maybe um, can't see. Uh, but yeah, like certainly that point uh, has to come at some point, but you know, because and this is a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason because the way you stagger minutes and because the closing lineups, like all of those things are more important than who gets their name called for lineup introductions. If the bulls think that continuing to, you know, give him an opportunity with the starting group is going to bring something out of him. Eventually I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with keeping him in for a little bit longer. Um, because as Billy has shown, you could always just ride the hot hand when you see one emerge. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely the stuff would have to get shaken up if this goes on for, you know, a super extended period of time. In addition to Patrick Williams, another kind of hot topic floating around is Zach Levine and, and the Bulls or at least Bulls fans being thrown the curveball before the season started with him all of a sudden kind of having this more strict uh, low management on that, that left knee and, and the team kind of managing his back-to-backs and just his situation and how fluid that can be. Through two games, how has he looked to you? How has he moved to you on the court? I thought he looked great in the Cleveland game. I thought he looked explosive. The step-back jumper was there. He was getting to the rim, breaking down, you know, Evan Mobley off the dribble, finishing. Um, second game, I don't – you know, he didn't shoot as well. He was 2 of 10 inside the arc. That's a long and active defense that Boston has. Obviously, Cleveland's is too. Um, so he didn't look as good in the second game as the first game. But what's tough about evaluating this kind of stuff after two games is – was that just an off night or was there a little bit, you know, was the explosiveness waning a little bit? I don't really feel comfortable making a declarative statement on that after two games. So we'll see. Um, but, you know, he, I think was still a positive impact in that game. Cause he was out there with that second unit that, that flipped the tide of the game. Um, you know, even though he wasn't shooting his best, you know, he still has the gravity to him when he's out on the floor, made a couple timely shots, timely threes. I think he had three threes in the game. So, I'm I'm kind of in wait and see mode with this stuff because this story has jerked us all around in, you know, eight different directions. Cause after the surgery, everything was great. So great that he got a five year, $215 million contract and nobody blinked, you know, and, and all the reports were positive beginning of camp. And then, you know, something flares up and now it's a daily storyline. Um, and fans hate that. Zach hates that. The team hates that media. Like we don't like, you know, badgering people about, you know, their bodies and injuries and things like that. But because of the resource investment, because of his importance to the team and because the rollout of information on the story has been 
so shady. Like it's a story. Um, I just, you know, I, I know they're going to manage him on back-to-backs. Billy has said like the protocol, the, the protocol, the standard practice for now is basically game after day after games. He's going to be like a limited participation in practice. They don't want to, uh, you know, overextend him too much in that way. But what Billy has said and what I think is probably fair perspective for the time being is that the Bulls on medical team needs to get a long-term set of data on how Zach reacts to certain loads and certain playing time and how he feels after games before they really know the full scope of how this is going to affect the season um, or even like plan games out super far in advance. Um, so two games in, I, I can't really share anything firm that I've observed. I'm kind of just along for the ride to see how it looks and to see what games he plays. The Cleveland game, I just, I thought was at least pretty encouraging. Like it, to me in that game, I know that from a team-wide perspective, the game went terribly, uh, but in his individual kind of scoring and playmaking flashes, I thought he looked like, Zach Levine, we all expected coming into the season before the new thing popped up. So at least that's there. Um, and, and we'll see where it kind of goes from here. Kind of stay on that same vein with Zach Levine um, as it relates to the second unit. Um, you know, it looked like Billy Donovan uh, really made an effort after that Cleveland loss and, and in the game against Boston to kind of do that staggering with at least having Zach with the second unit or, or having DeMar DeRozan with the second unit. Um, how sustainable do you think that is though staggering when you're also trying to maybe balance minutes and load management throughout the course of a season? I think with both those guys with Zach's current situation with his knee and, you know, just trying to preserve DeMar for more important stretches of the season. Um, like, do you think that's something that has to be monitored or thought out as the season goes on? I mean, absolutely. And what's tough about it, Matt, is like the whole mission statement of the season was continuity, right? Now, you know, however much you want to tinker with rotations as just a coach in any normal situation, like that's a thing. But now, like, say you find a, a rotation pattern that works. And part of that rotation pattern is Zach has a bridge piece with that second unit between the first and the second quarters. I personally like him stat- just, just on paper. We only have one game sample. But in terms of the theory of it, I like that idea better than DeMar just because that unit likes to play fast and Zach is just better equipped to run the floor hard, like stretch defenses that way um, than DeMar uh, for, for all of DeMar's virtues. Um, but the problem is if Zach's going to miss half of back-to-backs for the foreseeable future, if his day-to-day status, even though he hasn't been on the injury report, you know, since Saturday, you know, if his day-to-day status is going to be up in the air to an extent, they're going to end up juggling their rotations more than even a normal NBA team would because say you have that pattern installed and set in place. Well, shoot. Now one day Zach's not going to be able to play. Now it's going to get all shaken up again. So I I think that's a really tough thing, um, honestly. Uh, And it's part of what makes this such a, a big story because this is a Bulls team. I know they have their sights set on playoff success, but like we got to be realistic. This is a team that needs to bank as many regular season wins as possible. Because, you know, as we saw last postseason, the wrong matchup can get them sent home quickly. Like, I I don't think that's changed. Um, So it's a big storyline for that reason. It's just tough from a coach's perspective from that reason. I do think there are going to be nights where when that second unit is humming, it looks like it did against Miami. But there are also going to be nights where it looks like it did against Cleveland. Like when you factor in the age of a guy like Dragic, the offensive limitations of a guy like Caruso, who, who really was not playing well at all in the first three games uh, until that Boston game, particularly offensively. Um, so 
it's going to be a, a tough. And then like, you know, Derek Jones, when, when it's working, it looks great. But then there are other nights where he's not getting guarded from behind the three point line His you know, it, you know, in terms of his, uh, his kind of slight frame or whatever, like he can get kind of played through by, by bigger wings. And there are limitations for that group that we shouldn't understate just because it looks so good in one game. Um, and that's going to be a tough line to walk for Billy. I, I suspect at this point, because we've seen a two game sample without Zach and it went okay with just letting the second unit guys ride um, and then having DeMar and Vooch not necessarily staggered in the same way that you would normally expect. You know, I think that's kind of the plan for the foreseeable future. That's just my guess, but you know, they'll they'll be adaptable because they have to be adaptable, uh, especially with your player or your best player, your second best players um, availability on a night to night basis. Unclear. So correct me if I'm wrong, but tomorrow will mark, the fourth week since Lonzo Ball went under the knife uh, for his most recent uh, left knee surgery. Has there mm-hmm. been any indication that he's going to be reevaluated any sooner than later? It's been mom. Um, I mean, certainly it's the first question of Billy's pregame session tomorrow. If it's not me asking, I promise you it's going to be somebody um, because it's been kind of nice to let the Lonzo ball storyline sit to the side for a little bit. Cause the game started and, and some of the games have actually gone pretty well, uh, but it still looms. I mean, it's still, you know, arguably the biggest storyline this season is if he's able to get back eventually and look like himself, it, it completely, in my opinion, changes the short and long-term scope uh, of the team and, and, and the franchise. Uh, so I, I honestly don't know what Billy's going to say when he gets asked about it tomorrow. Um, we've seen Lonzo a little bit around the practice facility. To me, you know, he's been doing some 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 weightlifting, some some kind of rehab looking work. It's kind of hard. We're far away from the weight room, um, but some strength training, you know, appearing type of stuff uh, at the practice facility. From my eye, from my amateur perspective, it doesn't look a whole lot different than the rehab he was doing after the surgery last year. So I know people see the grainy photos and videos that we post and and think that it's you know significant progress. I don't take it as that only because. I will be woken up and ready to ride on the Lonzo balls back train when he's on the court sprinting and cutting at full speed. And he's not feeling pain anymore. Like that's the hurdle that he couldn't get over last year. Uh, I do not expect that they're going to have a full, full, you know, clear eyed assessment of that tomorrow at exactly the four week mark. Um, So I'm kind of in wait and see mode on that too. Another story like the Zach one that's kind of jerked us around. Um, but you know, the good news for listeners, this is an unsatisfactory answer from a beat reporter, but the good news is within 24 hours, we'll, we'll at least have something new in terms of a checkpoint or in terms of where the team stands on Lonzo, uh, when we get to talk to Billy on record tomorrow, a couple more questions with uh, Rob Schaefer from NBC sports, Chicago, Rob, Iodesumu shooting nine of 18 from three, about four and a half attempts per game. Uh, what do you think has got him shooting with more confidence from the arc? And you think he can keep it up? Well, not a 50%, <laughs> not a four for four, unless he could play the Celtics every night. Hey, um, no, I think, uh, I, no, I just think IO works his ass off, man. I don't know if I can curse on here, but um, that's not the worst. Well, that's not the worst thing I could have said anyway. Yeah, like it's, it's not um, a family podcast. You don't have to. Worry. They, they uh, call beautiful. you a baby goat. So you can do whatever you want. Man. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, fuck yeah. shit, titties, all that stuff. Go for it. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think he just works his ass off. Now, I don't know exactly what type of skill work went into, like, what he was working on with his jump shot in the offseason. All I know is he was really, really focused on speeding up his release. 
again, amateur view. That looked like an issue last season. He shot a good percentage, but the volume wasn't there. And you saw, especially in the playoffs, like teams are totally content. Like if you got to give the Bulls one thing, it's going to be IO Patrick, like shooting five or six threes a game. Like, please do that. Um, at, at least that's how the Bucks thought about it. Cause that's how they think about it uh, with everybody. Um, or at least how this, their scheme has been for the last few years. Uh, so I think that work in the off season, at least early has paid off again, nine of 18 over a four game sample. That's not going to sustain, but I do feel good at least that it looks more natural. It, it, even like the decision-making of pulling the trigger looks to be a little bit more confident from IO. Um, I think the drives have been the same thing. Confident. His touch around the basket to me is like worlds away from where it was in summer league last year. He's talked a lot about wanting to improve that. Uh, he's got to be happy with where he's at on that right now. I know Billy is. He talked about that a little bit today, just how high his ceiling is as a slasher because of his speed and his ability to elevate and his touch. So I just see, I just see a confident player um, whenever you watch him, uh, even on off nights, uh, you know, he's not going to replace the full assortment of ways that Lonzo ball impacts games. But I think he was pretty clearly in the first four games validated. I think he was pretty clearly the right choice to fill in at the starting spot for him because of the consistency that you get from him defensively with his positional size. He's a plus rebounder. Um, and then the shot making has been, I, you know, I would say better than you'd expect, but IO seems to always get to the ceiling of what you'd expect from him. He's just that type of player. Um, but it's certainly been good to see so far. Um, and I think I said it earlier in the show, but also good to see that the two best games he's had have been in wins. That's probably not a coincidence. Um, and they've been against the two best opponents, at least on paper, you know, this Cleveland team that, I mean, it looks scary on Saturday, but at least on paper, Miami and Boston, you would have pegged as the two toughest opponents coming in. Um, it's good to see him step up, uh, in those types of games too. Lastly, Rob, um, DeMar DeRozan, you spoke about him earlier, about him not missing the beat. You know, talk about a guy that has talked about the Eastern Conference being a competitive island and um, wanted to go against the best of the best. He is, I believe, 24 points away from cracking 20,000 points for his career. Have you had the chance to ask him about that yet? No, I I, I haven't. And I, I got to be honest, you know, I pride myself on being on top of a lot of stuff like that. I didn't even know he was so close. Um uh, so that's something that he could very well pass tomorrow against Indiana and he'll surely be asked about it. Then I'm sure he'll have an extended metaphor, um, to, uh, to give us on that one. I believe he's also approaching a thousand games played, which will be another milestone for him. Uh, but honestly, like, obviously, you know, we could talk all day about him getting to his spots, his efficiency, you know, his footwork, the work that goes into being able to, to have that muscle memory, no matter what game context he's in. All that stuff is is incredibly impressive, and it's been on display really his whole career, but especially the last two years um, for the Bulls. But I also think like his durability gets underrated. Like he was, he did not miss games last year, um, but except for really his COVID stint, and there was one rest game. Like on a team that struggled so much with durability, he was a complete constant. Um, I, I looked this up a few weeks ago. He's played the most games of anybody in the NBA since the time he was drafted. Uh, like that's remarkable, and it's a skill that. I think honestly, until you're a Bulls fan is underrated how, how much availability is the best ability. Right. Um, so, you know, that speaks to obviously his efficiency and his skill, but also his durability. And then even wrapped up inside of that, his kind of love of the game, his, his, you know, his company line is, you know, he just always wants to play. He plays in the summer for free. 
Uh, I know he took that last preseason game off, but typically, you know, plays preseason, um, you know, gives the fans something to watch, the ones that come uh, to games, et cetera. Uh, so it, it'll be a pretty cool, both of those milestones, I, I think will be pretty cool for DeMar. I expect he'll have uh, eloquent perspective on them. Um, and, you know, especially against an opponent like Indiana, 24 points. I I mean, considering he pretty quietly got up to 25 in that Boston game when really you didn't even feel him in as loud of a way as you, as you normally would um, DeMar DeRozan. I think it's a pretty safe bet. He, he could clear that first milestone tomorrow. Of course, you can catch Rob's work at NBC Sports Chicago. You can listen to him on the Bulls Talk podcast. Um, where can they where can they find you on Twitter if they want to get your reporting in real time? What's the what's the handle? At Rob underscore Shafe, uh, S-C-H-A-E-F. I'm assuming most of Bulls Nation probably follows you, but for the the ten percent listening, I don't know that about aren't. that. I mean, <laughs> well, if, at the very least, they're they're seeing your retweeted work, which is awesome. Okay, so and we'll and, and we'll take that when I when I closely analyze my 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 Twitter analytics at the end of every month, you know, that that all goes into engagement. So we'll take that. We'll take hey, he that. gets a bonus, guys. We'll just tell them that it's part of a bonus. <laughs> exactly yeah tell, yeah tell, tell them what tell them whatever we have to <laughs> rob thanks again for coming on we appreciate it a lot thanks guys it was thanks, fun bro. all right so drew before we wrap up here any final thoughts just from these first four games aside from patrick williams because we spent a good chunk of the show early on and with rob talking about that but any other takeaway that you've gathered from these first four games of the season I'm I'm really kind of impressed by Drummond and Dragic and and what they have brought to that second unit and um, how they helped to stabilize it for the most part uh, hasn't hasn't always been perfect but I really like the dynamic of those two uh, alongside Kobe White and and how you know although Dragic and Kobe White are, are thought of as obviously being offensive minded players. I think they, they've shown a pretty good effort um, defensively. Um, Drummond as well. Of course, every game you got to ride that, that wave with Drummond. He's going to do some Andre Drummond things in an unfortunate way. <laughs> um, but you, you know what you're getting with him, I think, um, for the most part. But just looking to see where that, where that goes. And, then it's, and while they've gotten two wins against two teams that we expect to be uh, playoff contenders, if not championship contenders, I want to see if they can handle the teams that they're, you know, quote unquote, supposed to be moving forward as well. Hmm. So in this next stretch here, we have, and let me pull it up just for a refresher. Um, we have, of course, Pacers coming up here Friday against the Spurs, Saturday against the Sixers, Tuesday, November 1st against the Nets, and Wednesday, November 2nd against the Hornets. I think we'll be recording sometime after that what are you seeing in the next five games you got a prediction you want to make record wise oh I'm, I'm really interested to see before i go for predictions i really interested to see how many games zach plays in the stretch especially how they handle that back-to-back with mm-hmm. uh brooklyn and um charlotte i'm sorry uh yes brooklyn and charlotte um because they're, they're low managing his knee right now but i haven't seen him on you know the injury report right yeah. now if we're talking records, so we're saying one, two, three, four, that's five games. Give me, whew, I'm going to go three and two. Three and two. Okay. 
I'm going to, I'm going to be pessimistic and say two and three. And I have a feeling they're going to be one of those teams, either the Sixers and Nets mm-hmm. and drop one, maybe against the Hornets or Pacers okay. as a, as a, as a wild card. Um, Cause I do think, cause we have that November 1st, November 2nd back to back. And we also have the October 28th, October 29th back to back. And I wonder if he gets a go at the Sixers and Nets and sits out against the Spurs and the Hornets. Yeah, see, that's I'm, it's going to be really interesting to see how they play that. Mm-hmm. And, and well, it's not like the Bulls can really – not that they can take anybody lightly, but I would imagine you want to have your your one of your heaviest hitters available for the bigger matchups. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like with a lot of that discussion this offseason about beating some of those those upper echelon teams and you've, you've come out of the gate beating – Two of the top teams from last year in the East, you kind of want to keep that momentum going. So I don't know. I, I think it, it might be interesting. It's something you and I talked about a little bit with um, Lonzo Ball load management in the summer. We were kind of talking about that. Like, do you rest him on back to backs against the weaker opponent? You know, and I, I think like it's kind of lining up like this with, with Zach when we didn't see that coming, but you know, it's kind of the same argument, I guess. Yeah, it is. It really is. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. So again, I'm the pessimist saying maybe this might be a two and three stretch. Drew's the ever optimist going with the three and two stretch. Question. Yeah. <laughs> Go for do it. We see, do we see Patrick Williams move to the bench at some times within these, within these next five games? I think we do. I do. I think it's coming. I, you know, at this point, based on what we've seen Billy Donovan do. And and I think he's kind of acting out of frustration a little bit. Maybe he's like, you know, this, this is the time. And I think it might happen with somewhere within this, the stretch of games, but I'll probably be wrong. Cause I'm not that good at predictions. So, you know, just whatever I say, bulls nation, take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> Don't use it for any bets or anything like that. Um, just to wrap up here, you know, where to find us. We're at, rebuild underscore a underscore bull on twitter you can follow me at mgenteel 88 you follow drew at look what drew did still one of my favorite twitter handles out there and um we'll always be tweeting our thoughts and through the rebuildable channel tweeting out the latest episodes that drop with drew stevens i'm matt genteel and we'll catch you next week here on rebuildable podcast Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.